join the hymn of our redemption. Let's sing this. We join the hymn of our redemption. We raise a banner for the King. Our golden crowns, we lay them down for Thee. And so we shout from the depths of our redeemed lungs for the blood that You shed as our ransom. And hear the sound, heaven shake, be exalted, King of glory, overflow. Almighty God, forever you reign, we worship you for even the grave.
whatever he raised. You can have a seat. How's it going? Good to see you this morning. I love to think as I come in and worship and look around at my brothers and sisters. We're prodigals and thieves. I'm a prodigal and a thief, but Jesus' blood shed for me, shed for us. Makes us brothers and sisters. As we continue to worship, there's a few important things to remember um, and I'll, I'll go through those together. But remember this one. Next week, we don't want you to come here. 10 a.m., we're going to meet in Central Park in Valparaiso. And we're going to celebrate baptisms. Our brothers and sisters that have joined our family and are going to declare who they are in Jesus through baptism. So bring a blanket, bring some chairs, a picnic lunch, a uh, picnic lunch. Um, and celebrate with us in Valpo at 10 a.m. Central Park next week. Also, um, Backpacks Because, this is the last week to sign up for that. That provides school supplies for children in northwest Indiana. And so we get to declare Jesus' name by helping to share with our students in this region. Take some time, if you can, to fill out your connection card, either in the bulletin or online in the app. Share with us something that you're praying for, that you'd like prayer over, and we'll pray for you. And as we continue to worship, I just want to offer a meditation on the word name. Books have been written about the name of God, our name. How, how it relates. And we often sing, we lift up your name, we praise your name. But what does that mean? And, and a lot of times it has something to do with significance and remembering. You know, 200 years after I'm gone, there might be a tombstone with my name on it, and no one will know who was that person. But there's, but there's something to being remembered. We try to remember those who have gone before us. In Ezekiel, at one point, God says to a group of people, I will remember your name no more. Couldn't you imagine a worse fate that even God doesn't remember you? But that's not the case because on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by God so that we could be remembered. And God takes us from being prodigals and thieves and remembers us. And in, in him, he gives us a new name and eternal significance. So let's remember that as we worship, as we praise his name. And would you stand as we continue to worship? Every fear 
Chapter 6 says, in his presence there is fullness of joy. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is 
freedom. So when we come into God's presence, things change. God works. God moves. He brings peace and he brings joy. And sometimes he's doing things behind the scenes but we don't even realize it. That's who our God is. Amen? You are here and moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. It's the way maker. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you Keep 
loved by the King. Father, so then sings our souls, our Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art. And we declare that this morning in unity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I remember you. I wondered, I wondered all month where you've been. It's like he's just not coming in the office anymore. How's, he, how's Jason doing out here, guys? Yeah. If we haven't met, my name is Brad Heitzma. I have the privilege, privilege of serving as the campus pastor at our Valparaiso campus. Excited to be here with you all today. Um, I was warned ahead of time that the first service here was way more fun and way more interactive, and, and I'm like, challenge accepted, right? So are you guys, are you guys ready for this message? Yeah. Are, are we going to be the, like, boring service? Yeah. All right. 
Well, good, because I have every confidence in all of you right now. Let me start. I've got several questions to start out with today. And the first one is this. What is something that you're really good at, but you could be better? Shout them out. What was that? Did I hear football? Yes, yes. What else? Spinach? What was that? Espanol. Espanol. Throwing down for everybody. Oh, I'm really good at this. What else? What was that? Eating healthy. Amen. I'm right with you. Do you know church food has no calories? Those donuts outside? Totally good for you. It's true. It's somewhere in Hezekiah. Look it up. All right. What else? What was that? Sketching? Sounds sketchy. Awesome. There's always things we could be better at. There's always things we could get a little more instruction on. I remember when my son was little, I took him to Bears Training Camp in Bourbonnet. Anybody ever gone down there? Don't do it. It's not worth it. Um, here I was, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be cool, Dad. It's like we're going to go to a Bears game, except it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's going to be awesome. And then we got there, and it was like 130 degrees, and it was a lot of guys standing around, and a lot of other guys standing around with clipboards, and that was like it. A lot of fun. It was really good. And, and, I, and I, 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 the one thing I noticed, though, is that standing out in these fields were like multi-million dollar athletes. And some little five foot six guy with a clipboard telling him how to do his job better. <laughs> Imagine that. Professional athletes have coaches. That's like the Olympics having lifeguards. <laughs> somebody, it, it was somebody's job to stand next to Michael Jordan and help him work on his shot at the Bulls. Can you imagine that? But there's always something we can do better. We can always get better with a little coaching. My ballet instructor told me that last week, and I'm like, that really... <laughs> no, that wasn't the joke yet. There's always something we can do and that we can get better. There's always something that people think we do really well and that maybe, you know, we're not as great. I am by profession a pastor, which means not only do I get to stand in front of people like you on a Sunday, but if I'm ever at someone's house or ever at a restaurant with someone or ever with someone where food is involved, I am the designated prayer for the room. <laughs> and sometimes... You know, sometimes I just mess with people because they all stop and the food's there and it's, and it's on the table and everyone looks at me like... So I look at them like... But people seem to expect that because, you know, this is what I do for a living, I must be like the best prayer at the whole table. Or, or the other thing is some people, when they are praying and I'm there, they will feel like intimidated, like they have to dial it up a little bit. And all of a sudden, it's like 15 minutes in, and we're still going. And all of a sudden, this person's from Northwest Indiana, but speaking in King James English. And it's like, dude, you haven't said thou, and I don't know how long, but come on. There's always something we can do. Today, we are talking, all this series, we've been talking about prayer, because the Psalms are songs and prayers. And we're going to be looking at one today, and we're going to talk about how even though we might be pretty good at praying, anybody prayed today? Anybody prayed this week? Wow. 
That wasn't as many hands as I'd hoped I would see. <laughs> Tim, we should talk about that on Monday. You gotta, you know. Anyway, I think the best way to start when we want to talk about how we can pray, and it's something we all do, but it's something we can all do better. How do we start? Well, the first way I want us to start is to learn how not to pray. So if you're taking notes this morning, that's how not to pray. That's the wrong way to pray. But how do we do it better? How do we do it well? And we have been walking through the Psalms all different weeks. This is the last of our Psalm series weeks. So either Chesterton has saved the best for last, or we have reached rock bottom. (laughs) You guys can tell me in about 15, 20, 45 minutes from now. We were looking at different aspects of prayer. If you had to define what prayer is in just like two words, what would you say? That was three, okay. (laughs) Talking to God. In its simplest form, it's talking to God. And our default from our very youngest age, when we learn to pray, we're learning to ask God for things. I remember praying in my bedroom with my mom next to my bed and a prayer that I had learned very early, and maybe you learned it too, It starts out with, now I lay me. I learned as a kid to pray, God, if something tragic would happen to me in my bed tonight and I were to die. (laughs) It's kind of morbid when you think about it, isn't it? You know? kind of like Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. But the earliest prayers we learn are, are asking God for things. We, I learned two prayers when I was very little. It was that one, which now scares me, and then it was another one before meals. Uh, in our family, we, we learned a simple prayer before a meal, and the kids would all around the table say it. It was, Lord bless this food for Jesus' sake. Amen. It was simple. It was sweet. It was small. And as a kid, when you wanted to get to the food, you tried to figure out a way to do that as quickly as possible. You would try to do that as fast as possible. If you could accomplish it in one syllable, Lord bless this food for Jesus' sake. Amen. Boom! You were right onto the meatloaf. And it was the way to go. But both of those prayers, we were asking God for something. Asking God. The earliest prayers we learn are asking God. And that's why when we looked at all the different series weeks, 
asking was the one I picked because it is the low-hanging fruit of prayer. We've talked about lament, we've talked about uh, thanksgiving, and we've talked about confession, and we've talked about exaltation and joy. That was Job last week. And, and, but asking God is, is really the simplest thing. And we ask God for different things. We ask God to help us most commonly when something's going wrong, when we're in a bad situation, when something is happening and we need help. We pray in good times, but probably more often we pray in bad times, when we need to reach out. Well, today we're going to walk through Psalm 86. If you brought your Bibles, turn there, leave your finger in it. We're going to get back to it in a little bit. And it's a Psalm of David, and it gives us a model, it gives us a framework of prayer that we could all learn from. And as we get into it in a minute here, I want to set the stage, David is being threatened. He is being hunted down for his life. He is on the run from people who want to kill him. Now, just for a minute, put yourself in that situation. Put yourself in the situation where someone is trying to find you and kill you. How would you pray? What would be the words that would come bubbling out of your mouth if you were in that spot. Well, we're going to look at David's kind of model that he gives us for prayer, but first, let's pray to God for illumination on his word. God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you that we could gather here and give you glory and honor and praise for who you are. That we can sing about how amazing you are. That we can sing about what a magnificent God you are. And now, God, as we unpack your word, as we dive into this psalm, I just pray, Lord, that you will speak to us through this time. Illuminate these words. Make them come to life for us. Help us to quiet down the thoughts of our day, the concerns, the to-do list we have, and adjust for these next few moments to lean in on you, to speak to us here. God, may the words we hear be yours and not mine in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are going to drill into David's psalm, and we're going to do that section by section and see what we can learn. But first, one more question for you. Does anybody remember a television show called The Honeymooners? Some people. Some people. How many people have no idea what it is I'm talking about? A few. Oh, Google it. It's, it's, it, it was a show back in the black and white television era. It was a guy, a bus driver, and his neighbor, and their families, and hilarity ensued. Am I right? So this is, is, is one of those classic well-known scenes, and we remember this one. What are Ed and uh, Ralph learning to do? They're learning to golf, and they've got a little handbook on how to golf. And Norton here is he's, he's, he's at step one of learning to golf. And we'll really dig back. How many people remember what step one was? Address the ball. Very good. I don't know. First service got nothing on you. <laughs> address the ball. So there he is. He's got his hand up, and he's about to address the ball by saying, Hello, ball. Yeah. Because that's important. When we pray, David, through his psalm, shows us how to address God. How to approach God. The first thing we learn is how to approach God. And we're going to look at this passage a little bit differently than you guys are probably used to. 
I'm not going to read it to you. You're going to read it with me, okay? Okay, good. We're going to take this in bite-sized chunks. The first thing we learn about approaching God is to do it with humility. So read with me verses 1 and 2. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. David is approaching God. He's not saying, hello, God, but rather he's approaching him with humility. He's coming humbly before God. God, I am poor. I am needy. Save me. Save your servant. I think sometimes we approach God with an attitude as if he's some cosmic ATM. Like if we just punch the four-digit code, whatever we need is going to come out of him. That we somehow have earned it. Or somehow we deserve God to move on our behalf. That's not true. One of the books that shaped my uh, my faith early on was a book by a, a, a Catholic priest by the name of Brennan Manning. And it's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And this, this statement stuck out to me. It said, a ragamuffin knows that he's only a beggar at the door of God's mercy. We don't deserve God to move on our behalf. God doesn't owe us anything. The only thing we actually deserve out of God is punishment. We haven't earned his love. We haven't earned his blessing. We haven't earned his protection. Jason said that, you know, God was the creator of all things. The God of the universe, the creator of everything, doesn't owe us a thing. He is big God. We're just us. Approach God with humility, remembering our place relative to his glory. The next thing we learn from our passage is how often we should approach God, and that's to come daily. Let me hear verse 3. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. All the day. All the day. Not at mealtime and bedtime. Not when the pastor's standing in front of me in church. To you do I cry all the day. Prayer is an incredible gift. The fact that we can approach the throne of God and the fact that God hears our prayers is an incredible gift I think we don't often stop to remember. that We don't frame it that way in our mind. When it came to praying for things like forgiveness, the prayers of his people, a high priest would once a year be able to go inside the innermost part of the temple, the holy of holies, the place where God dwelled. And just in case, they would tie a rope around his ankle, just in case he died on the spot and they had to drag him back out of there. When Christ was on the cross, at the moment of his death, that curtain that separated everyone from God's presence, what happened to it? It tore into, I heard it right here, from top to bottom, as if God himself had torn that open. No longer was there a separation. We could now come into God's presence. We could now approach him. Prayer is an incredible privilege that we have. Don't waste it, and don't ever take it for granted. 
You know that person that you only ever hear from? How many people here have a pickup truck? Let me ask that. How many people only hear from friends when they kind of need to borrow that pickup truck for something, right? And when you bought the truck, you knew it was coming, so, you know, you deserve it now. But I, how many people can think of someone in their life that they only really hear from when they need something? I've got four. They're my kids. Um, don't be that guy. Don't be the one that God only hears from when you need something, when there's something you need to, him to do. Praying without ceasing means to be in constant conversation with him, good times and bad. In the highs and your lows, speak to God regularly. And we learn from David's psalm to do it with intentionality. Let me hear verse 4. Gladden the soul of your servant. No, come on. You gave up on three verses. We got 17, okay? So let's wake it up. Here we go. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Last week I was in Laporte. After the first, first service, they gave up right at the same spot too. I just let him go. You don't get that privilege. You all can read. Words are up. Gladden the soul of your servant. To you, O Lord, he says. To you do I lift up my soul. I'm turning to you. I'm in a situation I'm praying to you, not to someone else, not putting my trust anywhere else, not trying to find my help from somewhere or someone. I'm turning to God. Lift up your soul to God. Just like we learned from David. So that's how we approach God. That's the first step we learn in David's prayer that he wrote for us here. But what comes next? Well, for starters, it's not jump right into what you need. But rather, David is going to teach us to align our focus. To remind ourselves, first and foremost, of who God is. We see David give us, giving us four attributes of who God is. And the first one, the slides jumped ahead of me, you already know, is God is forgiving. Let me hear verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Forgiving. One of the messages in our series was on confession. Laying yourself before God and admitting those times you have fallen or failed. And there's a benefit to doing that. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. God forgives. 1 John 1, John writes, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to... You guys are tracking right along. I love it. To forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to do that. Even in our unfaithfulness, even in our disobedience to God, even in the times we have just outright done wrong, when we approach him for forgiveness with repentance, he is faithful and just to forgive. And not only then does he forgive, but he forgets. It says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He wipes that slate clean. What we thought, what we did, gone. We're forgiven. God forgets things way better than we do. I can't tell you how many times that I found myself standing in front of a mirror and just looking and reminding myself 
reminding myself of the thing I did, reminding myself of the time I failed, sitting there and accusing and judging myself on the spot for my failures, looking at the reflection and seeing the sum compilation of those failures. That's not how God sees us. He doesn't see those anymore. Scripture tells us as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our sin from us. God forgets these things even when we don't. When we pray, we keep our focus on who God is, that he is a loving and forgiving father. And then when we pray, we also should remind ourselves why we're praying. And simply it's because prayer works. Verse 6 and 7. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you. Why? For you answer me. In my day of trouble, when I find myself in that spot, when I find myself up against something I can't handle, when it looks like there's no option or opportunity for me, God, I turn to you. I turn to you. Where do you go in times of trouble? Who do you turn to? Don't answer this one out loud. But is prayer your first response or your last resort? Where do you turn when things have gone south? We remind ourselves why we pray. Verse 7, for you answer me. We pray because prayer works. We pray because God does things through prayers. God works miracles through the prayers of his people, things that can't be accomplished by our own efforts, things that we can't do with our own work, but only by God's hand. God works miracles. We're reminded of that in verse 8. There is none like you among the... No, I'm reading by myself again. Come on now. Wasn't a trick question. Simon says... There is none like you, there you go, among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. Notice that small g, gods. Nobody like you among the gods. See, people in this time had a lot of places they could pray. There were a lot of gods they could pray to. There were gods of stone, there were gods of wood, there were gods of harvest, there was gods of fertility, there was gods of the weather. Whatever kind of god you wanted, there was one ready for you to pray to them. But guess what? They don't do anything. Those gods just sit in their temple or sit on a shelf. But there is a God who moves. There's none like you, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. God moves. God's works are unmatched. God forgives. He answers prayers. He works miracles. And on top of that, he is the creator of all things. He is the creator of everything. Jason mentioned that earlier today. All good reasons why God deserves our praise. And that's just what good David goes on to say. Verse 9 picks up, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O God, Whoops. and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. When you pray, when you turn to God in prayer right from the very beginning, take time 
and align your thoughts to just who it is you're speaking with, to just who it is you're asking something of. Keep your perspective crystal clear on who God is as you begin to speak to him, as you begin to reach it, remembering who he is. And in doing that, it will help shape our prayers. It will help focus our prayers toward him. And now, 11 verses later, David makes an ask. But it's not the one you think. He finally begins to ask God. I think so many times, we just jump right into it. God, here's my situation. Here's what I need. Help me now. Amen. Hey, God, I need this. Hey, God, please do that. Hey, God, help. Sometimes that's all you have time for. But David is teaching us to align our heart with him and to focus on who he is. And even in the asking, even in the asking, David is asking to be closer aligned with God more than he's asking for rescue. Listen to what he asks now in verse uh, 11. He's asking God to teach him his way so that he can obey it. Verse 11, here we go. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Teach me your ways. Teach me, God, the way you operate. Teach me, God, the way you would have me operate. Align me with you. I'm going to let you know a little secret. God's way is very different, usually, than our way. There have been plenty of times when I have had to cry out to God, and I had a list ready of exactly what it is I needed him to do, step by step. I even offered to put it in a PowerPoint. Turns out God didn't listen to any of my advice. Who'd have thunk? But his ways are much better than our ways. His ways are higher, the word tells us, than ours. David is asking to be aligned with God. And then he's following that up with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Uh, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. Great is your love. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. In the middle of everything that's going on, David is praying thanksgiving for his salvation. For the fact that Sheol, the place of the dead, Hades, he's thanking God for being saved from that. Of all the things we have in our life to pray for, of all the things we have in our life to be thankful for, I would put our salvation kind of high on that list. Am I right? But how many times do we actually stop and pray with thanksgiving for that? In the middle of our crisis, in the middle of our life, in the middle of whatever it is, how many times do we stop and thank God for what he's done through Jesus? All of this framing and reframing is putting David in a place to trust God more. He's saying, God, teach me your ways. And he's peppering that with thanksgiving for what God has done. Even in our worst times, 
when all we can think about is what's ahead of us, do we stop to give God praise, to thank Him for who He is, to thank Him for what He's done for us? When you're facing a struggle, where does your mind go? When you want to talk to God and things have fallen off the rails, what are your first responses? Why? Why, God? Why is this happening? Do you even hear me anymore? Do you even know I'm here? Have you seen what's going on? Where are you when I need you? Have you abandoned me? Have you left me? Have you forgotten me? Or do we pray, thank you, God. Thank you for the ways that you've loved me. Thank you for the ways you've cared for me. Thank you for the ways you have done things for me in the past. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is when Israel has to cross the Jordan River. Anybody know that one? The Jordan River is flowing, and it's at what the Scripture tells us is flood stage. I saw a picture of that once. It's not pretty. There's this torrent of raging water, a fast-flowing river. And it's not just a gentle entry into it. It's a, it's a step down. It'd be like me you know, stepping off the stage, which I was told earlier I'm not allowed to do. So I won't. But imagine having to take this kind of a step and below me not funny-looking carpet, but rather below me being a raging river. That's a, that's a step of commitment. That's a step of trust. That's a step of faith. And they've got the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulder, and they're the ones that get to go first. And I just think to myself, as a former designated prayer, what if I was the lit guy? Can you imagine carrying this thing and then standing there at the water's edge going, all right, well, here we go. No, there's got to be another way. There's no, let's, we could wait till the water calms down. Maybe we could pray for a bridge. Something else. But it's not until the priests take that step of faith, till their feet get wet, that what happens? The water stops flowing. Upstream, the water stops. It flows downstream, and all of Israel crosses over on a dry bed. Pretty amazing stuff. But my favorite part's what comes next. They send 12 guys back into the middle of the riverbed. And they tell them to pick up big stones. Now, these are stones that have spent their life in that riverbed. So they have been polished smooth by the water. And the biggest stones are the ones in the middle, not the ones along the shore. They're not jagged from a mountain. They're not sun-bleached from being in the desert. But these are smooth, huge rocks from the middle of the river. They take 12 of them. They pick them up, they carry them to the water's edge, and they stack them right there. They make a pile of rocks. And the idea is that generations from now, when somebody comes up and goes, hey, yo, pops, what's with the rocks? You can say, you know what? That's the place where God did an amazing thing, where he stopped the river, where we walked through. That's the place where God did something that only God could do. That's how we remember it, by that stack of rocks. Where are the stacks of rocks in your life? What are those times when you stop and remember God's faithfulness? 
when you go, you know what? Remember that time when God did that one thing that only God could have done and how amazing that was? Who do you share that with? You share that with your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, stranger at the grocery store? Where are the rocks in your life that you're remembering God's faithfulness? Because when we remember God's faithfulness, we can be confident in his future, in our future. When we remember our past with God, we can be confident in our future with him. When we know all the times God has helped us before, we know that he'll be there for the next thing too. It's from that place of trust. It's from that place of remembrance that we can pray to God and trust in his faithful actions. It's this place we can trust in the promises he's made. Verse 14 picks up. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give strength to your servant and save the son of your manservant. Fourteen verses later, in case you haven't been keeping score. Fourteen verses later, he finally gets to the ask. And even in the middle of making the ask, he is still praising God for who he is. But you, O Lord, you're a God merciful and gracious. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, God, now, God, I need that. I need that. Turn that to me, Lord. Be gracious to me, God. Give me strength. Save me from the situation I'm facing. 14 verses in, framing his heart, framing his mind, acknowledging who God is and what God has done. 14 verses in, he's ready to make the ask. And even in making the ask, even in pouring out his heart before God, he's already thanking God for coming through. Verse 17, show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped. God, let these people see what you're going to do. Let them see that you've already moved and acted on my behalf. That, God, I can trust and rely on you because you are going to do something amazing here. There's a lot we can learn from Psalm 86. A lot we can learn about how to pray or how to pray well. And it's a lot to remember. And I'm not going to follow you home and help you pray when times are rough, even though I'm the designated prayer. I'm turning that over to you now. So I want to help you out something I've known or learned when I was probably in middle school. It's an acronym for prayer. And you'll notice it follows the same pattern that David does. It's called ACTS. Adoration, God, you're amazing. You are the creator of all things. 
God, you are powerful and mighty and loving and all these things. Adoration followed by confession. God, I don't deserve your movement on my behalf. God, I have fallen down. God, I have let you down. But you are a God who forgives. You are a God who I can turn to and I can confess and I can repent and I can see complete forgiveness. God, thank you for that. Confession. Followed by thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for my forgiveness. Thank you, God, for my salvation, for sending your son for the work on the cross. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do in my situation. Thank you, God, for the things you've done before. Remember those rocks. Thanksgiving. And then finally, supplication. Then finally, God, here's the ask. Here's where I'm at, and I know you'll move. I'll know you'll act. I know you'll do this because I know you've done it before. When we framed our hearts and our minds toward God, when we remember who it is we are compared to who he is, when we remember the ways that he's moved or acted or worked on our behalf before, when we remember the God who saves us and has already saved us, then, then with our hearts in line with his, we can make the ask. And we can make an ask that's in line with his divine will. And the coolest thing is we can be confident. We can be confident that he hears us, that he loves us, that he wants the very best for us. Let's pray to him. God, thank you. You are sovereign over all things. You created all things. You know how this world works better than we ever could. You know how our bodies work better than we ever could. God, you are mighty and powerful and loving and forgiving and caring. And God, we don't deserve, we don't deserve that love. We don't deserve that care. We don't for, deserve you to move at all on our behalf. But God, you have forgiven us. You have wiped our slate clean. Because of your son Jesus and his sacrifice, we can be saved and we can be sinless in your eyes. Thank you for that. Thank you for the ways you've moved before in our lives. Thank you for those times when you have proven to be faithful and loving. And God, we all have things in our lives we need you for. We all have asks we need to make. So God, in these next 30 seconds, I'm going to let each person in this room just cry out to you and lay their heart before you. God, hear the prayers of your people in this place at this time. of David, show us a sign of your favor. That that thing in front of me, that obstacle, that diagnosis, that bank account, that job hunt, that relational problem, that you will bring a resolution. 
and in your love and divine power that you will bring us to a place of wholeness and restoration before you. Thank you, God, that you love us, that you comfort us, that you are gracious and merciful toward us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you most for the gift of your son, Jesus, in whose name we gather and worship and pray for his sake and for his glory. And all of God's people said, amen. Because of that sacrifice on the cross, because Jesus paid a price and shed blood on our behalf, we can be forgiven. We could be freed. God is a loving God, but also a just God. The Bible tells us that sin requires punishment or a blood sacrifice as payment. But out of God's love, he provided a way. A way to say, no, you don't need to bring your doves to the temple anymore. This one sacrifice was for all of you, for all your sin and for all time, that you could be forgiven and free. Jesus, before going to the cross, he gathered in an upper room with his closest friends, and they celebrated a Passover meal. And Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat. He's saying, this is a sacrifice I'm about to make, a physical sacrifice. Take this and make it a part of who you are. Take this into your very being because it's for you. The same way he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, a new promise, a new agreement, a new contract between God and man that no more are we bringing sacrifices for forgiveness because this one does it all. This bloodshed washes us white as snow. He tells us to do this in remembrance of him. And we celebrate that sacrifice each week because he said to. And it's important to remember that this isn't mourning the loss. What we're having right now isn't a funeral meal. If it was for my youth, it would be a ham bun instead. We're not doing this to, to mourn Christ's death, but to celebrate his resurrection. This is a meal of celebration, not of mourning, not of loss. We come before and we share and partake of this to celebrate that gift of Christ's sacrifice. If you're serving with me, I invite you to join me up at the stations now around the room. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're glad you're here. We do this through a method called intinction, where we gather in groups at each of the different communion stations of four, five, 17, whatever works. We take a piece of the bread, Christ's body that was broken for us. We dip it into the cup with the juice, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sin. And then together we take and eat. And just like Jesus said, we do this in remembrance of him. I invite you when you're ready to join us at one of our stations.
confess Bowing here I find my rest And without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Let's stand and sing Lord I need you Lord I need you Oh I need you Every hour I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh God how I
Yes, God, we need you. You are God and we are not. So teach our song to rise to you when temptation comes our way. And when we cannot stand, we fall on you. And we lift our eyes up to the hills, for that's where our help comes from. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. At Sega Bar Offering is a church uh, body. If this is not your church home, this the moment's not for you, but if, if you consider Liberty home and you came prepared to worship, uh, this way you can give of, of your offering. And to, just to say thank you for your generosity in, in a way that churches typically don't talk about, but, but it's worth naming. Uh, if you've been here, not so bad this morning, but if you've been here the last couple of weeks, maybe it's been a little hot uh, for you, uh, a little sweat. Uh, well, that's because we're, uh, we're, we're about to do a total new mechanical HVAC through our whole building. We basically like it's not working properly. So he could have either spent a lot of money to fix it for like six weeks or just waited. Uh, made you sit in hot uh, worship service for about six weeks. And so we chose that. Uh, and so one, thank you uh, if you've been sweating through the service. Like, man, are you trying to make a point or something? No, uh, uh, but your generosity helps heat and cool this building. So, so thank you for that. Um, also, this is the first Sunday in our uh, in the month, which means we take up our benevolence offering. So a, a second offering uh, we take up as, as you leave. The ushers will be there. You can um, give towards our benevolence fund, which cares for the, the needs of our community as well as the materially poor um, among us. A couple uh, announcements uh, before you go. One, uh, two weeks ago, we introduced Brian O'Neill to you as a, a pastor candidate, pastor of teaching. Uh, and, and we want to thank you for the feedback we received over the last couple of weeks uh, for Brian. And, and we, we since the feedback we received from you was, was with the elders and I, we, we had prayed through that, that Brian was already serving and you had experienced him as a faithful pastor in so many ways. Uh, and so based on your feedback, the conversation among the elders, we extended to Brian a formal offer uh, this Monday and Brian um, accepted it. And so Brian is, has joined our staff as pastor of, of teaching, which I don't know if he's in the room now. I don't have a great sense. But anyway, yeah. He's around here somewhere. Um, and then reminder, next week, uh, as Phil mentioned, we're not going to be here. We're going to be uh, at uh, Central Park in Valpo. If there's, if there's crazy weather, just keep an eye on social media and email. We'll communicate. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it rained today, so surely it's not going to rain next week, right? Should not have said that. But anyway, uh, so that, that's next Sunday. Then two weeks uh, after that, starting August 20th, uh, we're going to start a new series on the Sabbath, on rest. <clears throat> right as we're all going back to school, and we've probably said yes to way too many things uh, already. We're going to talk about rest. So we hope you'll join us um, for that. Um, so with that, would you please stand if you're uh, able. And, and also, this is your, one of your first times with us, and I haven't had the chance to meet you. I would love to do that. I'll be in the hallway after service. I also understand sometimes coming into a new church, it's just good to, to come in and go out. Uh, but when you're ready to meet us, we're ready to meet you. We're glad you're here. Um, but with that, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, may you experience his grace and peace this week. You are dismissed. <laughs>